Hey guys, I'm here. In case you hadn't heard, I wrote a novel. It's called Dionysus in Wisconsin. It's an urban fantasy slash queer historical romance. You can find it on Amazon, on barnesandnoble.com, Kobo. It's on Kobo Unlimited. Probably some other sites too. You can find it through bookshop.org, which is an alternative to Amazon and lets you give something like 10% of your purchase price to an indie bookstore of your choice. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you want to read it. If you'd rather buy it directly from me and get a signed copy, I'm selling them for $15. Send an email to ehlupton at gmail.com or just find me on social media somewhere and send me a message. That's it. Enjoy part two of our dive into drugs of the ancient world. Bye! Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. We had two bags of grass, 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of higher power blotter acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, and a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughters, and also a quart of tequila, a quart of rum, a case of Budweiser, a pint of raw ether, and two dozen amyls. Not that we needed all that for the trip. But once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. So this is a uh, quote from Fear and Loathing, great book of the late <coughs> '60s, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson, a doctor of journalism, now sadly departed. Um, and it yes. brings up the topic we're going to talk about tonight, which is drugs, part two. Yay. I should say, I'm M, the Ask portion of Ask a Medievalist, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! And uh, let's quick flashback and look at what we talked about last week. Yes. I just want to say that it's impossible to hear that without hearing it in Johnny Depp's voice yes. from the movie, which is a yes. brilliant movie. It really is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. But that, that whole section when he goes through everything in the trunk, <laughs> and I believe we said last time, like, usually I don't hear about, like, pure mescaline, um, which they talk about actually in the film. Yes. And, um, yes, because one would not. Uh, but in fact, of course, it is the active ingredient, I guess you would say, in peyote, which is from a cactus. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things we talked about last time, of course. Um, yeah, so peyote, which mescaline is the sort of purified ingredient of, um, cactus-based. Last time, um, we really spent the time on kind of, all of this is plant-based, what we are talking about in our two-parter, because we are talking about ancient and medieval hallucinogens and not modern <laughs> drugs, basically. Um, so these are all plant-based. Um, but yeah, these are the plants that they are based on or from, and we talked about some of the slightly lesser known ones or lesser used maybe until recent times. Um, so of course, peyote's fairly well known today, but um, that's that's what that one is. Um, we mentioned water lilies, both white and blue. The blue water lily is often known as the blue lotus, even though it is technically not a lotus, I believe. Um, and it contains, or they contain, um, various sort of 
ingredients that can be hallucinogens, um, but especially also they contain um, apomorphine, which is used in erectile dysfunction drugs today. Oh. Yes, and apparently oh, this exciting. was probably known to them, the various peoples who were using it. Oh. I think okay. we forgot to mention that last time when we talked about water lilies. Yes. Um, morning glories we talked about. They have LSA, lysergic acid, um, which is related to LSD, which is another form of lysergic acid. Um, LSA mm-hmm. is just amide. And, of course, um, LSD is diethylamide. Yes. So, um, but those but those are related. So morning glories have LSA. <laughs> Um, nightshades. We talked about the nightshade family. Of course, some of them are tasty and delicious, um, like tomatoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Others are definitely poisonous. So, um, particularly like mandragora, which was known as kind of a sleeping potion. It could also be more than that, but <laughs> that's <laughs> not the point necessarily. Or yeah, um, and um, scopolia. So. And these are active ingredients and stuff today. I mean, still. Um, and then, of course, mushrooms. Psilocybin, um, which is still the active ingredient in mushrooms. Yeah. Which are gaining in popularity now. Yes. So we talked um, about... With lots of new research being done. Yes. We talked about microdosing and all of these things. Um, a lot of these are um, cleared for use in traditional ceremonies. So indigenous peoples are supposed to be allowed to use them um, as part of traditional ceremonies. Um, But yeah, there is absolutely growing sort of recognition of the ways in which they can help. Um, There were a lot of studies done. We mentioned this, I think. But um, again, there were a lot of studies done back kind of in the up through the 60s. -hmm. And then they became outlawed at such a level that the government and the CDC were no longer allowed to study them. And now it is once again, okay to study them. Uh, And the interesting thing is that some of the people who are part of the original studies are still alive. And so you can see if the, the effect over decades, right? Yeah. If they went through some of these treatments like 50 years ago, how are they doing today? And the answer is a lot of those people are actually doing really well. Um, And, some of the studies have shown that some of these drugs, like um, mushrooms, that the their active ingredient does, in fact, have the potential to affect the brain the same way that a lot of antidepressants do. Um, but in ways that have fewer long-lasting side effects, interestingly, um, mm-hmm. depending, of course, on how you use it, but fewer long-lasting side effects... And um, can potentially be much more permanent, which is to say you don't have to continuously use them. You can have a couple uses and then be done. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so um, the fact that this a lot of this is now being studied, peyote is now being studied, um, you know, so a lot of these things now that, that people are sort of studying them um, to see what happens. Yeah. Um, and so we recorded this last time. And then... In the past week, um, a new article came out <laughs> um, that was just published research. Um, yes, in this which is very exciting. Yeah. So um, basically, um, the point is that a lot of the stuff we talked about last time 
um, and we'll continue to talk about it today, to be fair, is based on the sort of indirect information. So um, one of the articles, a lot of people have sort of talked about this, but scientific reports is where the official study was published. Um, and then National Geographic and various other places, of course, reported on that study. Um, and they, the, the authors point out that um, archaeologists usually have to rely on indirect information from pots to understand what people were eating or drinking or what substances they were partaking <laughs> um, thousands meaning of years that, ago. Like, meaning that like, you find um, a nearby clay pot, right? And it has some sort of residue in it? Right. Yes. And then you scrape it and then you start to test it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a few issues with that. Um, obviously, first of all, you have to find a pot that still has residue. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, um, the, prob the, the second problem, of course, with things that are thousands of years old and the fact that these are all on some level natural botanical substances that we are talking about, right? Um, mm -hmm. These things degrade. Yeah. Right. So what they have done is there are a lot of studies, and we'll talk about some studies that have used this, where they um, artificially age substances to figure out how they're going to degrade. They've done oh, a lot of this. We're going to talk okay. later in the episode, but they do a lot of this with poppies, for example, to try and figure out, for example, if you find a 3,000-year-old pot that has residue in it that you think might be from opium, how do you know? Because, like, the active ingredient in opium is morphine. Um, it's not the only one, but it's the main one that we all think of. And it de morphine degrades really quickly. But there are other byproducts that take – that stay around much longer, basically. Yeah. Um, so not finding morphine doesn't mean it isn't opium. But, like, in that case, what are you looking for to try and prove that it might have been opium or at least sort of poppy-related? And, of course, there's a difference between poppy, just poppy, and something that really is being used as an opioid, right? Yeah. So how do you prove this? So this is basically what archaeologists, archaeobotanists, all these people, <laughs> all these different things, this is what they do, right? Is they try and figure out how things will degrade, what are the compounds that will be left. You have to be able to test them. You have to be able to make sure it's not being contaminated by something in the pot. I mean, there's so many things that, mm -hmm. that happen. Um, and so... The really fascinating thing about the study that just happened is there's a cave, a set of cave burials. In 1995, explorers um, on the Mediterranean island off the coast of Spain, Menorca, um, okay. found a cave with more than 200 intact burials, dating from roughly 1600 to 800 BCE. Right? That's a lot of burials. Yeah. Yeah, so that's 2,800 to 3,600 years ago. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a, a ton. a long time, too. Yes. Yeah, because it was used for roughly 800 years, which is also a very, very long time, right? Yeah. So multiple generations. I mean, eight, 800 years. So I want to say 3,600 years ago is, like, for context, were they just starting to build pyramids in Egypt? Um, yeah, this is, like, late. Yeah. say late Bronze Age. Yeah, so seems, this is... Seems similar. This is old, old, even by our uh, perhaps slightly skewed standards. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and the sort of key here, of course, um, is that, you know, this is... <laughs> 
Um, it is today Spanish, of course, but it is also an island. Um, so there are a lot of really interesting things actually that turned out to kind of be part of part of this study. Study. Mm-hmm. Um, no tapas. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, possibly. We'll see. Yes. Okay. Um, little little tastes of things. Um, but yeah, this I think this this is probably. Um, I'm gonna say a thousand years after the pyramids. Okay. Maybe not that long, but um, maybe roughly. I think because the pyramids, I think, are 2600 BCE, and this is 1600 BCE. Oh, okay. Or at least the big pyramid, <laughs> the Great Pyramid. Yeah. Okay. So this is a little bit after that, but it's still, yes, very ancient. Um, you know, so 800 is basically when Homer is writing. So this is about 800 years before Homer, up until Homer. So if you look okay. at him as like the young end of what's going on. Right. So Greek civilization hasn't quite, as we know it, of course, as we come to know it, hasn't got off the ground yet. Um, we're looking at like the Mycenaeans and, you know, the people that Homer is mythologizing. It's their era. So it's the era of like the Iliad, the Odyssey. Um, a good time, basically. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, so, yeah, so this is so 3,000 years ago, basically, um, compared to us today. Um, and, yeah, in these burials, so this is a cave with burials. So, first of all, right, they're being buried in caves, which presumably helps um, protect everything to begin with. Sure. Um, and then... Um, Near some of these burials were hollow, sealed tubes made of wood or antler that contained strands of hair from the deceased. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a little bit different. Yes. Um, it had been cut, or the hair was cut and dyed or colored with red pigment. Okay. Um, it's not entirely clear where this came from, basically. Um, where okay. did this tradition come from? Not sure. Um, researchers then also found what they considered a kind of hidden collection <laughs> of ten more of these tubes that were sort of, um, I mean, possibly truly hidden, far away from the burials in the cave. Right? So there's some of these tubes were near the burials, and then there was another group of ten that were sort of far away, that were maybe okay. hidden. Um, were they really hidden? Were they, who knows why they were placed there? But anyway, um, so that was in 95. All these years later, so 28 years later, um, Uh they have tested the hair the same way you do drug tests in people, basically. Right? We know this, probably, if, if we watch enough, like, TV or something, um, that hair, hair, of course, contains a record of things like drug use, right? So you can test someone's hair. The question is, like, how long does Mm -hmm. it take for it to grow out that, you know, no one will know that you were taking whatever. Um, And so they've tested the hair (laughs) Um, and confirmed um, via, right, this sort of specific testing, um, the various sort of traces um, of what what people, these specific people, um, had been taking. So um, this way, ca- confirming, right? Because the thing is, when you test residues in pots, it's not even just that you can't prove 
100% what was in there. Even if you mm-hmm. can prove it, you can't prove how people are using it. Right. Which is something else we talked about a little bit last time. We can talk about a little bit this time as well. Um, but you can't prove, right, you f- if you find cannabis seeds, for example, um, you might find them clearly burnt. You might find them with incense and burners. You assume that they are therefore being burnt and the smoke is being inhaled, right? So you can yeah. assume if you find all that stuff. But a lot of times you just find things you know, in a jar, you can't really guarantee that people are ingesting the substance that they're using it as a hallucinogen, right? They're sort of, you just can't prove it, basically. But in this mm-hmm. case, because you can find it in their hair, <laughs> you know that they ingested it. Yes. Right? Um, so uh, the sort of archaeologists and ethnobotanists who are part of this study um, uh, have basically... It's one of the few absolute moments of proof for early Europeans, in this case, um, because, right, island off of Spain and the Mediterranean. So that early Europeans, this is maybe the first time that there's been this type of proof for Europeans this early, Mm -hmm. um, that there was, in fact, drug use. Um, So this seems to obviously have been a ritual Ritual burial, the the hair obviously was cut and dyed as ritually. Um, it's very likely that the people who whose hair was being tested were themselves conductors of these rituals. Um, so a lot of the articles call them shaman, you know, spiritual leaders, basically. Um, okay, it's very likely that this was an area where they carried out rituals, but then also where they themselves were ritually buried. Right? So it's it doesn't mean necessarily that everybody in the community was partaking. It may have been a specifically ritual... I mean, it was probably specifically ritualistic, but also only certain people may have um, partaken. Hard to know. But the presence of things that they found, um, they found atropine, Scopolamine and ephedrine. Um, atropine oh. and scopolamine come from the nightshade family, which we have talked about, like mandrakes, mandragora, right? Henbane and thorn apple. Um, and ephedrine comes from a pine, a joint pine. Um, so, obviously. Is ephedra still used today for migraines? Yes. So, this is really funny because two of them, of course, like the Mandragora, the mandrake, are um, hallucinogens, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but ephedrine is a stimulant. Yeah, and today it's it's in um, a lot of medications. Ephedrine, both ephedrine and pseudoephedrine, famously. <laughs> yes, yes, pseudoephed. Um, which I mean you can cook it into meth, <laughs> which is not what they seem to have been doing, right? Because that does change the composition of it. The um, best article that I encountered was actually in the Journal of Apocryphal Chemistry. Oh, boy. That described how to cook meth into pseudoephedrine because laws have made it much more difficult to get your hands on it. <laughs> I mean, this is true, to be fair. Um, which is funny. But yes, 
absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting. And another thing, right, that the ceremony um, may have combined these things in some way, right? So mm-hmm. are you sort of doing the hallucinogens and that's part of the ritual? And then maybe the ephedrine is a stimulant? Who knows? Um, but yeah, so the 10 quote unquote hidden hair samples, <laughs> um, which had a sort of excellent... Um, I mean, they were excellently preserved, first of all. Um, and they seem to have dated from the last 300 years of activity in this area. Okay. So um, all the way through 800 when it stopped, um, starting probably around 1100. Um, and it's, it's a little unclear if the, these, if the ritual with the hair um, may have taken place during um, some time of change um so are there traditions that are sort of coming through you know with travelers or something um obviously it all the burials here stop in 800 so ultimately there is change (laughs) um is this part of a a ritual that sort of appears a little bit later but before the burials here completely stop um it's a little unclear Right. Um, but it's it's worth thinking about the fact that some of these traditions may have been um, traveling, basically. Um, so this sort of proof, um, it's also, you know, it means that at this point, this is a very early point for all of this to have gotten sort of as far west. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about stuff that was found... <laughs> In the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, This is, of course, the Western Mediterranean. So, um, yeah, there's a sort of really interesting sense here that, you know, it's just a way of proving things that people who study this stuff have certainly argued, right? But because, just because of the way things degrade, it can be very hard to argue 100% based on residue that something is true, Given the fact that these compounds are in their hair, we know that they were yeah. ingesting this. <laughs> um, and it, Do you think it's often harder for researchers to make arguments like this when the thing that they're arguing for goes against what I would call the conventional morality of our time? That, yes. like, you definitely need more ironclad evidence yes. you're yeah. saying that people did drugs. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because on the one hand, on some level, we all kind of assume that drugs were fairly common in the past. Yeah. Certainly for rituals. Um, There's so much evidence that people have pointed to, sort of in literature and so on, right? Um, The assumption of things even like the Oracle at Delphi, right? She's sort of standing over this... um, I'm going to call it a steam vent, but obviously it's not. It's, you know, hot spring vent or something. Yes. But like, you know, maybe she's just huffing sulfur or something, but it, even that, I mean, on some level, of course, some of these things do send you, yeah, right? They absolutely sort of give you visions and stuff. And some of it is much more hallucinogenic than others. Some of it was quite probably on purpose. We know, I mean, and that's something different. Like the Greeks, for example, left so much evidence. We, we know a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. That's the problem is you go further back in time. You don't have the written records. Yes. So, um, 
it just gets harder to prove. Yes. And there is a, an extent to which, of course, people can be wary <laughs> of things that are not uh, common today. Which is funny, because, of course, again, Europe is one of the places where it's it's harder to prove this usage in places like Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, in ways that are a little bit interesting. So, yes, so this sort of proves it. Um, again, of course, it's it's this very rare instance on this island. So you do also have a sense of travel, like I said, sort of travel and trade. Um, yeah. You know, the next goal is to get evidence of some kind from, like, the mainland, right? <laughs> how far, how far but, is this island from the mainland? I mean, not far. Nothing's far. I mean, the Mediterranean is... That huge, That's, despite yeah, what Homer said. <laughs> or he didn't say it, but I mean, despite what is implied in the Odyssey. Um, <laughs> he just didn't have a GPS. It's right. fine. It's well, not, many people have pointed out it's hard to get lost in the turned. Mediterranean. Um, right. Not impossible, but difficult, right? I don't know. Um, We've all been turned around and embarrassingly close to home, right? Like... Yes, yes. And to be fair, he is stuck for like seven years on Circe's Island, right? So he's not actually wandering around the Mediterranean for ten years. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's just wandering around it for like, I guess, sort of two and a half years or something, right? Which um, is still a while. Yes, which is still but. a while. But he, he does put, I mean, three years, but he does sort of have a lot of adventures in between, right? The Cyclops. I mean, so he is, um, he is adventuring. And there are a lot of tiny islands, you know, so you could, you really could, if you're landing on all of them, <laughs> you could spend a lot of time doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that is, that is fair. There are a ton of tiny, tiny islands. Um, so, you know, that's, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, obviously, um, the assumption would be that if this exists on this island, that they're probably not alone. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can look at a map, it's, I don't know really how far away it is, but it's pretty close, like Valencia and Barcelona and, um, you know, and to be fair, like North Africa and yeah, it's just hanging out. They're all kind of right there. They're all right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, which of course is the point as well, right? Um, that, you know, travel, I mean, that is the thing, right? Trade routes through these areas, are astonishing. Um, and we're going to talk sort of more about a lot of this discussion we're going to have today actually does kind of center on various parts of the Mediterranean, the Middle East, Greece, you know, North Africa. Okay. Um, but that's sort of what makes this interesting. Like I said, is it's, it's West, right? So it, it mm-hmm. really tells us that all this stuff is, did get that far West and got there quite early. Right. So, um, yeah. So presumably it, it is sort of going on throughout Europe. Um, but yeah, that, of course, yes, people have moral issues with some of it. So, um, but yeah, so that's, that's sort of a fun just came out. Um, and the study, um, you know, hopefully will sort of lead to more similar, similar studies. Um, there are a few other studies that have tested, um, hair, I think fingernails, things like this. Um, so we'll talk about them, but it's something also that 
that people might go back and do, right? That there's sort of realization now that you can ah, figure things out. Yes. You go back and you try and find out, I mean, also just what, what were people's diets, you know? So it's, it's an ongoing, um, element of sort of research these days. Um, but we have that one. Um, there's an interesting sort of commentary also that, um, maybe the ephedrine was a separate, so that, for example, the hallucinogens may have been part of sort of the religious ritual. Maybe the ephedrine was used to complete, like, difficult tasks. <laughs> or, you know, um, the way people, like, take Adderall to stay up and study all night or something. As I say, for all of the people with ADHD in the year yep. 1600 BCE. Yes. Yeah, so that maybe that was actually a sort of separate, um, separate usage, right? That they may have yes. been two distinct usages, which is absolutely possible. Um, but yeah, so as, because all the hair is kind of together, right? So yes, and it was you don't preserved. Necessarily, no, this person was on this drug. This person was on that drug. Well, it's like that, but I mean, I don't even think that the same people were taking both of them. Ah, but okay. the point is that maybe not um, as part of the same ritual. Aha, uh -huh. yes. You know, and it could be a thing that shamans had to do. I mean, maybe you took the ephedrine so you could stay up all night for certain rituals, and then the hallucinogen was part of just a specific ceremony. You know, but there there are reasons, but that they would potentially serve two different purposes, right? Um, the interesting thing, of course, is that the preservation of the hair, which is so incredibly useful, um, yeah, it, it has not, I think, like, no one seems to know where it came from. It's not something that has necessarily been seen anywhere else. Okay. So, um, yeah, all of that is very unclear. And, of course, as an island, like, it may have been unique to this island. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Right? So that's <laughs> that's a really interesting sort of very specific moment. Um, but, yeah, so so that's that's this new article that just came out, which is sort of incredible. Interestingly, a few years ago, in May 2019... An article came out that um, similarly demonstrated the history of the use of ayahuasca, oh. which is a shrub, by the way. I think we mentioned it last time, but didn't really talk about it. Um, so we'll talk about it here. And again, this is as all of these things, right? There's a long sort of oral history of it being used in South America, um, but not the 100% proof again. Um, however, um, an anthropologist at Penn State, uh, Jose Capriles, um, went on a dig in 2010 um, and in southwestern Bolivia um, and found um, a rock shelter that showed signs of human activity going back 4,000 years. Again, there was a cave that was once used as a burial place. Sure. Um, looters had later looters. Like, so in the past thousand years or so, or 4,000 years even, um, looters had come by and taken the bodies and anything that they sort of thought was valuable, but had left anything they considered to be worthless. Okay. Including things like beads, braids of human hair. And, interestingly, a leather ritual bag that contained a small pouch. Um, 
There are also some tiny spatulas made from llama bone, a carved tube, some small wooden platforms for inhaling substances. Hmm. Yes. So we got some tubes, some sort of implements, things to inhale with. Um, the bag, radiocarbon dating of the bag, the leather bag, indicated that it was used probably around 900 to 1170 CE. So that's so okay. about a thousand years ago. So this is an area that was been used for about 4,000 years, a cave that had been used, a tomb. Um, left behind was this leather bag from about a thousand years ago. Um, and inside this leather bag was this pouch. Um, and the small pouch was made from three fox snouts sewn together. Um, okay. Yes. And inside the pouch, it turned out, they tested all this stuff. Um, and it contained um, cocaine, basically, from the coca leaf. Which of course, was, <laughs> okay. you know, definitely a thing. Um, and then possibly, um, some psychedelic mushroom components, psilocin, as well. Um, and then, um, harmine, which is from the Yage plant, um, and then, um, DMT from Chakruna, which is from the Amazonian lowlands. Um, all of these things are from a widely diverse range of places in South America. Right. Right? So m- most of the things are not actually native to southwestern Bolivia, which is where this was so found. So they were trading, basically. Yes. So trade networks... Um, yeah, trade networks are bringing all of this stuff through, which is sort of incredible. Um, and there was this wide variety of <laughs> drugs, I mean, of hallucinogens in this pouch. Um, Harmine is the primary ingredient in ayahuasca. It was often combined with DMT. And that's where, that's where we get that. So, um, so the, um, Yage plant is the, um, the source. That's the source. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it has this sort of, right. This is how modern ayahuasca is created (laughs) from Mm -hmm. these, these plants. Um, and those are two of the primary ingredients that were found. Um, so it seems pretty certain <laughs> um, that that is that is what was here. Um, and uh, the Caprilius, the guy who found it, um, is pretty sure that the ritual bundle was not left in the cave by accident, that it was left intentionally. Um, you know, whoever it was carried out the rituals with these things, presumably, and then left sort of the implements there. You know, that's how you sort of close out the ritual, right? Then you leave okay. leave it there to kind of maintain the charge of the ritual. Right. That makes sense. Um, and so, yeah. So that, and then it was left there um, because, you know, when later people came through to steal stuff, they didn't, you know, it's just an empty pouch. So they didn't, of course, see anything valuable. Um, but yeah, so there we are. <laughs> um, so that's so about a thousand years ago, at least. Um, mm-hmm. ayahuasca. And the reason that's sort of important is because, of course, indigenous people have stories of it being around for a very long time. But this is one of those instances where um, modern, you know, anthropologists can be wrongly <laughs> suspicious of indigenous knowledge um, and say, well, there's no proof that this has been around that long. 
it could be a modern day type of thing. Right. Um, so this is, you know, arguably proof that it is not a modern day type of thing. It has been around at least a thousand years. And of course, you know, probably much longer. This would not necessarily have been the first um, instance of its use. Right. Um, especially given the trade networks that were necessary to sort of bring it all there. So um, right. also it's not the sort of thing that would originate in a place where these plants don't originate. Right. So again, presumably sure. <laughs> it is much older. It goes back to other areas. Um, just that archeological proof has not been found yet. Um, but yeah, so um, that's ayahuasca. I do want to come back of course, to the coca leaf because that is another American um, plant, <laughs> South American plant. Um, this one Americans is... Americans love their stimulants. Yes, yes. Um, this one's dark. The proof here is dark. I just want to put that out there. I want okay. a little bit of trigger warnings. Uh, we are going to talk about not only human sacrifice, but very young humans. Oh, is this those mummies? Yes. They found in, yeah. on, like, a mountain? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, this was published last year. The research from this was published last year in May 2022. Um, I was noting that a lot of these, again, I assume this has something to do with the archaeological cycle when some of mm -hmm. these things get published, but um, a lot of spring publishing for, for drug papers. Anyway, um, so <laughs> uh, two Inca children um, who were ritually sacrificed over 500 years ago were found. Um, it seemed, they seem to be, um, a girl and a boy between four and eight years old. Okay. Um, they were ceremonially, ceremonially, right. Ritually sacrificed and buried, um, in Peru, um, on Ampato mountain. Um, and they tested, um, the girl's hair, um, and fingernails from the boy. Okay. Both parts of your body, again, that keep things that you have, you know, ingested. Um, and, of course, it takes a while for them to grow out, right? So it can have a record of some time, right? Um, and in this case, um, their bodies contained, in fact... Um, the primary ingredients for ayahuasca. Um, and this is another instance where, again, they found the traces sort of of harmine or harmine. Um, and, you know, the, what ayahuasca sort of breaks down into, right? Um, and it, they sort of theorized that in this case, um, it, that they were probably not given it so much for the hallucinogen. Mm -hmm. um, element, although it was a ritual, but that, but they would have had to have it over time, right? They didn't drink it just right. as a ritual or it wouldn't have entered their sort of hair and fingernails. So this is something that was probably as they were sort of being brought to the mountain, which probably would have taken a couple months, sort of to the mountain and up the mountain and the whole ceremony, that this is something they have been drinking as a way of kind of preparing them ritually, but also mm -hmm. it would probably have served as an antidepressant, basically. <laughs> right for two kids who are kind okay. of being forced on this journey and don't really know what's going on and all this stuff yeah so that that may have actually been sort of why that may have functioned kind of like an antidepressant as well um, as well as a ritual drink um, the Spanish 
um, wrote about the fact that sort of victims of sacrifices were given a special drink, but they thought it was a sort of alcohol that they knew that they okay. could drink. Um, and it seems clearer that that is not what it was. <laughs> it was not the sort of ordinary beer or whatever, that it was probably the sort of ayahuasca concoction. Um, also, trace evidence shows that they had been chewing coca leaves as well. Okay. Um, and there are also Spanish accounts of the widespread use of coca leaves during Inca rites of passage, um, including sacrifices. Um, and so it does seem that that was also definitely part of it in this case. So it might not have been as much for the stimulant portion, but more because coca leaves were very, very ritually important, so they would have been given them to chew. Okay. Um, which also is presumably the reason for the ayahuasca, although it, that may also have had the effect of being a sort of antidepressant and may have been used for both of its purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so there we have, right, that's 500 years ago, um, a sort of um, similar evidence. This is actually right. very recent. Yes. Yes. This is, and this is the thing, right? There is Spanish, also Spanish written records that sort of say basically the same thing. Um, not mm-hmm. that we should trust the Spanish, but. There you go. Um, again, this presumably, this is, of course, the end of this period when these things were happening. They had right. probably been happening for some hundreds of years before this. So it might very well go back. I mean, the use of ayahuasca and the coca leaf probably go back at least a thousand years and maybe more. We know the ayahuasca does and coca leaf as well, um, just from traces that have been found, right? Coca mm-hmm. leaf was found in that bag from a thousand years ago um, in Bolivia. But Again, right, this is one of those instances of 100% proof because you can test, you you know that they were ingesting it, <laughs> yeah. right? You didn't just find a bag where it happens to be, like, you know they were ingesting it. Um, so that's, it's just harder to prove, right? Um, remember the interesting thing of the Bolivian grave site, the bodies had been looted, but the bag was still there, right? So it's just yes. a problem of finding, you know... You have to find preserved bodies and be able to test them. And all of that, of course, is not easy. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's recent, but definite proof for sort of the tradition that was nearing its end at the point at which this would have happened. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so that's so that's another example of that and a reminder of some things that were kind of specific to the Americas, of course. Right. Peyote, ayahuasca, coca, all of these were somewhat specific to the Americas. Um, now something that was not specific to the Americas, <laughs> um, that instead originated elsewhere and traveled. Okay. Um, and that is the poppy. Oh, boy. Yes. Um, I am a fan of the poppy. Just as a seed. I mean, poppy seeds oh, are delicious. sure. Bagels. Um, yes. And poppy seed filling, it's the way to go. <laughs> Um, I'm going to not comment on poppy seed filling. I'm going to say it's controversial. Uh, what? Controversial feelings I have about poppy seed filling. It is the best. The best. Poppy seed filling is the best. Um, let's see. Um, oh, actually, before, before we get to poppy seed filling and also other things with poppies, um, I should say quickly, um, that there is, they, um, have been doing sort of <laughs> radio, they have been doing radiocarbon dating on um, mummies that they have found in various places in South America. Mm-hmm. 
where they had, have tested them for things like coca. Um, yeah. And it does seem like coca has been used for at least 3,000 years. So like in northern Chile, um, they did find 11 bodies from a burial site. Um, two tested positive for coca ingestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were dated roughly 3,000 years before the present day. Yeah, I'm going to so, say that um, yeah. periodically I have a weird night and look up mummies. And this <laughs> is not the first time that I've heard about child sacrifices in Peru who were given drugs beforehand. Mm-hmm. Which suggests that this has been found quite a bit. Yes. But I don't remember what drugs the other ones were given or where, in fact, I found that information. Right. Probably similar. It was longer ago than 2022, so. Yes, yes. But yeah, um, and yeah, this last one was, was Chile, so, um, you know, and 3,000 years, that's long before most of the peoples that we kind of know, right? The famous civilizations, like yes. the Inca, the Aztec, or of course, later, the Olmec. Um, yeah, so 3,000, that would be 1,000 1000 BCE. So again, that would be even like a little before Homer. That would be around the time. Mm-hmm. That would be um, around the time that this is going, you know, that island off the coast of Spain is also doing stuff. So yeah, um, yeah so that that is a very long time that coca has been used for sure. Um, so yeah, the Americas have a, have a very long history, just can be hard to prove it, <laughs> I guess. But yes, mummies, right. I mean, famously, there are a lot of mummies in South America. So in that sense, um, it becomes more likely that more evidence will appear. Yeah. Um, but, yes, so switching to the poppy. Um, here we get some really interesting things. So, um, <laughs> first of all, there's a lot of evidence for the poppy. But there's also a lot of um, mis... I don't know. I don't want to say misdirection. But... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff that gets quoted as evidence that actually isn't clear. So we'll go over some of that. All right. Um, uh, we may as well actually start there. Um, basically, there's a very long history of citing Sumerian cuneiform tablets um, found at Nippur. We've mentioned them before in other cases. Um, as having mentions of opium and the uh, sort of collection of poppy juice kind of mm-hmm. scraping the juice from the seeds. Um, and the idea that they sort of called the opium happiness, which is um, a lot of that doesn't seem to be true. This okay. sort of started a long time ago and people continue to repeat it. And other people have argued that none of this evidence actually holds up when you look at the stuff, that there's no real evidence for it, that the the words don't fit. It's not okay. So, um, there's another sort of same, same, same with Egypt. The idea that they also cultivated poppy, etc. Again, it's not clear in the same way that that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really sort of interesting um, commentary. There's a whole sort of um, article um, from um, University of Chicago. Um that was published. Hmm, when was it published? Anyway, written by um, Paolo Nancini. Facts and factoids in the early history of the opium poppy. 
Okay. Um, so this is using the word factoid in its traditional meaning, which is a fake fact, I think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not a little little tidbit of fact, which is how people tend to use it today. Right. Right. Um, And, yeah, and it was published in um, The Social History of Alcohol and Drugs, Volume 36, Number 1, Spring 2022. So that's a year ago. Um, And, yeah, this is a U of Chicago journal. Um, or it comes out of their press. Um, and the abstract for this article is, <laughs> um, I'm more or less quoting here, but, um, so biomedical literature, in biomedical literature, the belief that the opium poppy, um, which of course is P. somniferum, which is a great Latin, oh right? Oh my God. It's the sleepy really? drug. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is the real Latin part. Um, anyway, it, that it's a supposed Sumerian, quote, plant of joy. Um, this belief persists in this article. Um, Palancini, unless he pronounces his name actually Nincini, which is also possible. Um, in this article, he reviews the mounting archaeological evidence showing that P. somniferum was domesticated in Europe during the Neolithic age, probably because of the nutritional property of the seeds. You see? Oh. Yes, the poppy seed is awesome. Um, poppy seed cake. Poppy seed on bagels. Oh, it's the best. Anyway, um, that was all me, not not him, of course. All right. Uh, but yes, the nutritional properties of the seeds, quite possibly, is the, the point here. Um, during the okay. late Bronze Age, the plant was ascribed symbolic meanings within religious and possibly ritual functions that endured from the Minoan civilization to the Roman imperial period. Um, no evidence of the recreational use of opium poppy can be found during Mediterranean antiquity. Um, and then he says, finally, he examines the reasons why fa- the factoid, yes, so the fake fake, not fact, <laughs> regarding the Sumerian plant of joy persists in the biomedical literature despite the lack of evidence for it. There you go. Um, of course, I do want to point out when he says no evidence can be found during the Mediterranean antiquity, that's not entirely true because Minoan civilization is in the Mediterranean. But what he means okay. is it's not in the Middle East or in Egypt. <laughs> uh, at least it hasn't been proven to be there. Um... So, despite the fact that that is the oft-cited history, um, and I should say, we should do a corrections episode at some points, because I know that I've said some stupid things occasionally on the show that are not true, <laughs> just because, I don't know, sometimes it's because I'm not thinking about what I'm saying, which happens sometimes during lectures as well. But, um, yes, this is one of those moments where I am not going to repeat stuff that other people have repeated, just because. Okay. Yes. Because there's no actual proof that it's true. <laughs> so, ta-da! Um, yeah, so for anyone who's read that this is how far back opium goes, that is not clear. Um, we should say that um, early evidence for the importance of poppies <laughs> um, comes from... Minoan civilization. So, um, on Crete, which of course is where, you know, the Minoans and King Minos lived with his labyrinth, etc. Um, I mean, he is mythological, but the Minoans are not. They were real. This is where um, he would have kept his labyrinth had yes. he 
Right, had one. Well, the palace at Knossos is labyrinthine for sure. I mean, it's okay. freaking amazing. Um, if anyone ever has the chance to go to Crete, you should all go. And you should go to the palace at Knossos and then to the museum at Heraklion, which is the city. I mean, Knossos is right outside Heraklion. Um, okay. And you just take the bus. You know, it's like 10 minutes or something. Um, and then you go see the palace. And then you go back and you go to the museum. Um, it's just freaking amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but anyway, in that museum, you will see, I have cool pictures of, um, this, uh, terracotta, um, female figure who seems to be in ecstasy or maybe epiphany. Maybe it's an, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so it might be coming down to sort of bless the people, right? But her hands are upraised, kind of like, you know, if the police are like, put your hands up. But her hands are raised in this way that sort of, yeah, excess your epiphany. Um, and she has this crown that has three poppy seed pods. Okay. So it's not the beautiful flower that we all know and love, right? It's the seed pods. And it's very clearly ah. the seed pods. <laughs> um, which, of course, is where you get the important part, I guess, of poppy, if you're thinking of it in this way, given what this episode is about today. Um and, yeah, they're on her crown. And um, it's probably this was a votive offering to the goddess. Um, the goddess, you know, there's sort of this Minoan goddess. Um, in this case, it seems like she is being associated with presumably death or sleep. I mean, that would seem to be the thing. Um, okay. But this artifact is from somewhere between 1300 and 1200 BCE. So that is quite some time ago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That is, what, 33 to 3200 years ago. Um, And um, it's clearly a Minoan artifact, possibly with some Mycenaean influence. The Mycenaeans invaded in 1450 BCE. But the whole, the poppy imagery... And the goddess are certainly Minoan. Um, interestingly, speaking of the sort of Mycenaean influence, the influence went the other way as well. This is one of those instances where Mycenaeans ended up taking a lot of stuff from the Minoans, um, which is the only reason really that we can decipher anything about the Minoans at all, right? Because the oh, Minoans, okay. we just, we can't read their stuff. We don't really know anything about them. We have so much evidence, right? But we just can tell so little <laughs> about what they actually thought. It's very frustrating, honestly. It is. It really is. Um, and what we do know, a lot of it comes from the fact that the Mycenaeans took a bunch of it, <laughs> right? Um, and incorporated yeah. it. And so then we sort of base some of what we know on them. So interestingly, there's a Mycenaean gold signet ring um, that's in the museum in Athens, in this case. Because um, Mycenaean, so it was found, you know, um, and... Um, around 1450 BCE, and it shows the Minoan goddess figure seated Mm -hmm. with women offering her things, maybe flowers, maybe also poppies, maybe lilies, which you remember are also potentially sort of hallucinogenic, depending. Um, But she's holding three poppy seed pods. Again, right? Three three of these kind of seed pods. Um, and it has sort of the Minoan double-headed axe, right? It's a very clearly Minoan imagery in the poppies and everything, but it was found in Mycenae. Um, okay. So 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's not 100% evidence of what they were doing with this poppy, but, I mean, it's definitely opium-related. So, mm-hmm. um, so this is some of the early evidence we've got, um, is the Minoans and the Mycenaeans. Mycenaeans. <laughs> they are in the Mediterranean, <laughs> I just want to say that, yeah. but in deference to the article I previously mentioned, um, they are not... Yeah, he's talking specifically like the whole kind of ancient Middle East, ancient Egypt. It's not going on, but it is going on here. So this is Crete. Um, so there we go. So definitely, definitely there. We we start to get um, a little bit of <laughs> evidence for them. Um, and from there, it shouldn't be surprising, right? That the Minoans to the Mycenaeans to the Greeks, ultimately, the Greeks absolutely knew what poppies and opium were. They write about it. Um, of course they I, do. Yeah, I think Homer mentions it. Um, the Romans then, of course, get it probably from the Greeks. Um, and they, of course, use it um, as a medicine and uh, probably sometimes as a poison. But anyway, so... Um, but that's, that's 100 right. So from there, absolutely. That sort of moves on okay um but but that's so that's very early crete um there's another um early example so we're back to this whole um testing thing here Mm -hmm. um there are these jugs you know pottery right um known as kind of um ring jugs and um, some of them late Bronze Age. So this would be um, just a little bit earlier than actually the two Cretan, well, the Cretan and the Mycenaean examples, the two Minoan examples that we've just mentioned. This would be like maybe 3,600 years ago. So like 1,600. So a couple hundred years, maybe even before what's going on with the Minoans. Okay. Um, in Cyprus, some Cypriot jugs. Um that someone suggested at one point looked like these poppy seed pods. If you turn them upside down, because they're sort of like fat seed pods, and they got these little um, things that stick out at the top, but in this case, like the bottom. So the jug is kind of sitting on it, and it's got the sort of fat part, round part at the bottom, and then a kind of thin stem, Mm -hmm. which is to say neck of the vase, or jug. Um, And so it was sort of suggested that maybe these carried opium-related compounds in them, and that's why they looked like poppies. So finally, there was actually one at the British Museum. Um, this research was published in 2018. Yes, I mean, everything, they, they stole it all. But but it's not even just that. I mean, these jugs exist everywhere. But there was one at the British Museum that actually had, like, very clearly a lot of residue left in it. Um. And so they tested it. And this is one of the ones where the whole article sort of describes how they also sort of artificially aged opium to figure out how it would break down so that they knew what they were testing for. And that's, this is where they sort of just, you know, proved that just because morphine isn't present doesn't mean it wasn't opium because morphine degrades so quickly. Uh-huh. Um, so all of the compounds you would expect to be there were there. So it was 100% a poppy uh, compound. The interesting thing, of course, that they point out is that this is a jug that was pretty clearly used for liquid. um, Or most likely used for liquid. It has a sort of narrow Mm -hmm. spout, right? 
Um, and for use as a narcotic, opium presumably wouldn't be stored as an oil because you would smoke it or ingest it dissolved maybe in alcohol. So was mm-hmm. this like a poppy soy oil rather than sort of opium meant for taking um, that was used for some other reason, maybe perfume or cooking or who knows, right? <laughs> but right. Um, anyway, so what was this maybe used for some other purpose? Um, they have found some of these jugs with um, with sort of other aspects of compounds that suggest that maybe there was sort of <laughs> uh, opium, opium in them, I guess. Uh, but there, but there is right. So again, there's a little bit of a question. They do seem to definitely have been part of the trade in poppy related compounds, but it's not a hundred percent clear that it was sort of opium as a narcotic, I guess. Um, but that trade has been going on. For a very long time, right? So these sort of base ring jugs, um, widely traded in the late Bronze Age. They're from Cyprus, but they sort of appear in all sorts of places. Um, so that becomes a really sort of interesting aspect of this as well, right? There's definitely, definitely a trade yeah, um, in this. Um, it is also worth pointing out um, that imports of this type of pottery... Um, have been found in modern Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. Um, and quite possibly, I mean, this is, you know, it may not have, again, you can't prove it was opium, but there was definitely a trade, basically. <laughs> so Cyprus is definitely trading in poppy compounds and trading them in vessels that are kind of shaped like poppies. Yes. Marketing. Yes. I know. It's great. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's a kind of another fun, um, <laughs> fun, fun element of that. Um, yeah, so there we go. Um, the poppy has frequently been thought of because of the sort of, I don't know, I guess, fake history of poppies, of the opium, you know, it's frequently been thought of as kind of one of the oldest things that we have evidence for. And that mm-hmm. is not true, actually, but it clearly does go back somewhat distant, right? It does go back somewhat into the past quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least sort of, you know, 32, 300 years ago, maybe a little more. Um, uh, we should point out also, um, there's a one of the places that these um, poppy jugs were found, imported from Cyprus, um, was a spot um, in Israel, in Tel Yehud, um, about seven miles from Tel Aviv. Um, and these jugs came from about the 14th century BCE, so about the, you know, 1300s BCE. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did test the residue. And in this case, um, they do seem to have, again, contained opium. Poppy, okay. definitely. Definitely, definitely. But quite likely actually opium. In, in these, they're they've argued okay. that it was opium, um, and the theory is the theory here is that the opium may have been connected um, to a sort of end of life ritual of some kind, um, and so that this and this seems to be a kind of without a shadow of the doubt testing usage. Um, so this does place it in Israel, which of course again is part of the Mediterranean world, but funny enough, uh, largely imported from Cyprus. 
Probably. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so it does tend to put the locale, right, um, in the sort of Minoan, sort of Cretan Cypriot part of the world as kind of where this, I mean, as far back as our history goes, like that's where we have the, the proof, basically. Um, but then they're trading it around, so it gets to Israel. There's proof here. Um, yeah. Um, but this brings us to what is, of course, the drug that we have the longest history for. Um, and that is cannabis. Aha. <laughs> yes. And this one has the longest history. Um, I think we mentioned briefly last time that in 2020, um, also um, in Israel, so there's a an altar um, in Tel Arad dating to the 8th century. So this is pretty modern. 8th century BCE. So this is still like 2,800 years ago. But given what we've been talking about, this is pretty modern. Um, but they did discover... Um, cannabis residue um, pretty clearly, you know, smoked. I mean, <laughs> it had been burnt and inhaled, etc. Um, yeah, so cannabis goes back for sure. Um, and this is sort of um, just like poppy, right? Where there's this sort of a little different. Like Poppy, there's this sort of weird history that seems to be wrong. <laughs> right. Um, and then it can be hard to prove opium versus poppy compounds, right? So, um, for example, the opium that they found in Israel that they argued was absolutely opium, mm -hmm. um, they actually sort of argued that one of the things that may have happened it was sort of diluted to be stored, and then maybe you would take it and use it, which actually is not a bad, bad idea. Um, in this case, cannabis um, also has a contested history. Um, so, <laughs> uh, this is a little bit Nixon. Yeah. Well, um, Just sort of in general, but yes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing because it's, it's very old. That's okay. Not really a question, but obviously the earliest evidence for cannabis is really the use of hemp. Mm hmm. Right. So the use of hemp and hemp fibers goes back thousands and thousands of years, right? Even like 10,000 years ago or something. Um, yeah. There have been hemp fibers found that were very clearly like sort of woven or used by people, right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem is then, how do you prove that people are using it as we use it today? Um, I mean, we still use hemp fibers as well, but... Uh, and so that, that sort of is where the question starts. Also, the question of where did it originate as mm -hmm. a plant... Or just, you know, as a plant that was used, and who took it where. And this is another one of those places where there's a kind of contested history a bit. Um, okay. So, for example, absolutely in, like, the, you know, 3rd to 4th centuries, kind of BCE, we know the Scythians used it. Um, there's a lot of discussion of them using it. Actually, the Greeks talk about them. Herodotus talks about them using it. Um, so... And again, this is kind of modern history, right? So, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's like, again, right, 500, 400 sort of BCE and stuff. Um, so that's practically yesterday. Yes, yes. So that's, this isn't really, <laughs> um, but then the question kind of becomes sort of where, where might it have originated, right? Um, mm -hmm. There is definitely sort of evidence in burials in China um, from quite a long time ago. Okay. Um, 
as early as sort of, um, you know, some th- thousands of years in China. Um, there are digs in the Caucasus have uncovered braziers containing seeds and the charred remains of cannabis dating to about 3000 BCE. Mm-hmm. So that would be sort of 5000 years ago. That is 5,000 years ago. Um, The best bet at this point seems to be (laughs) um, Central Asia, maybe the sort of northeastern Tibetan plateau. Oh, okay. That this, this seems to be kind of a good place for it to have started. (laughs) Um, And writers, so again, the history has been kind of woolly. People kind of mm-hmm. say things like Central Asia. Um, and so that is not, but okay. Right. Well, because of sort of, again, archaeological evidence and things, in okay. 2019, there's an article published called Cannabis in Asia, its center of origin and early cultivation based on a synthesis of subfossil pollen and archaeobotanical studies. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, and they sort of argue, um, right, that... Central Asia has kind of been based on wild plant distribution data and that and and also some early evidence like sort of burials in China and things like that um, and um, mm-hmm. Northwestern the sort of some of the oldest pollen is consistent with um, a cannabis in Northwestern China but then there's some others that kind of diverge um, and so the these authors kind of suggest that actually the Northeastern Tibetan Plateau maybe where um, cannabis sort of originated um, and that from there it was sort of dispersed to the west and then to the east um, and then India. Um, Cannabis pollen in India also goes back a very, very long time. Um, You know, so this is just sort of the the actual, like, (laughs) pollen. Um, So tracing the plants... Mm-hmm. Um, archaeological evidence um, goes back sort of the furthest in um, China and Japan, possibly. Um, wow. The question, though, then becomes um, who really started smoking it first and how did it get how did it travel <laughs> right. at that point? Um, and that's a little bit iffy. There have been recent suggestions that this kind of nomadic group, the Yamnaya, who were from Central Asia, may have distributed across Europe. Okay. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, it The archaeological evidence in burials in China um, do suggest that it was smoked as part of rituals um, some of the burials, you know, are from 500 BCE, which again, of course, is very modern. Um, but there is definite evidence there. Um, so it seems probably, um, and this is funny because Herodotus, again, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, does discuss this, right? So he did see it in some of these groups, um, but that it very likely did start then possibly in China mm-hmm. and then basically travel west. Um, who exactly took it where is not 100% clear, but the 
the Scythians definitely at least somewhat seem to have introduced it to the Greeks, because that's who Herodotus sees using it. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's this sort of interesting question, but that, absolutely, right, the the evidence does seem to go back a very long time um, in, in this instance. So um, at the very least, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, again, because like digs in the Caucasus, have uncovered sort of apparently the use of cannabis going back <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 5,000 years. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's sort of so fuzzy who might have brought it to Europe. If it does originate in Asia, who brought it to Europe? Um, and it it seems, I mean, this is something people do seem to agree on, that it did originate in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly Tibet, <laughs> but possibly, you know, somewhere in China, um, but, and then sort of went to Europe, um, which is why this kind of nomadic people, right, the Yamnaya are kind of, because they were sort of, they're uh, somewhat nebulous <laughs> people, <laughs> um, a little, you know, who did sort of um, travel during this period, migrated during this period. So they're kind of a possible example. Um there are also, of course, things like early trade routes and stuff. I mean, trade routes do go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it being passed, you know, as people are sort of meeting each other kind of on borders, are they passing these traditions along, possibly? Um, yeah, but it's a little unclear. But this, but that is one that the evidence does go back. Yeah. Definitely. This is actually really interesting, both because, I mean, like, we know about trade routes, Um We've done some episodes on trade routes. They won't yeah. have been published by the time this comes out, but look forward to that. Um, we don't typically think of ancient cultures as having had that much contact with each other, mm-hmm. prob- possibly because of the way that we're taught about them all sort of isolated from each other. Like, now we're going to learn about the Greeks. Now we're going to learn about the right. India. Now we're going to... But um, also, just how much it mimics modernity of course that, like yeah these things continue to flow across mm-hmm. borders and down trade routes and um yeah. and also we know of course people traveled because frequently um this is how we f- we find them right we find mm-hmm. things in places where they shouldn't be or we find people in places where they shouldn't be right um like who is it was it atzi who was found in the alps yeah and um you know he's crossing the alps like <laughs> people traveled, right? Um, and again, the sort of obscure peoples that appear- that migrated from one area to another, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not entirely who- sure who they were, and there are arguments about what group of people we should really consider them, but um, obviously, yeah, people's whole groups of peoples, right, migrated um, for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, it's not, it's not at all beyond the reach of imagination that a lot of these things, that it doesn't even just have to be one group of people who had a tradition and then took it somewhere, that because there are always sort of peoples migrating and traveling, some people might be in a place and then take their tradition somewhere else as they migrate as a group. But also, there is trade, people sort of move through and things like that are very easily traded, right? Someone comes along and it's like, oh, this is really interesting. Like Herodotus writing about the Scythians, right? Um, 
enjoying ingesting what does he say like when they're inhaling their smoke and how joyous <laughs> like they become or whatever he, they like shout with joy or whatever he says so you know i mean and then you're sort of like maybe i will try that right so obviously so things can travel even even when people don't um yeah so it's just very interesting that there's this kind of again it it probably is a little bit to do with um with study i mean the more people study this and the more mm-hmm. they actually test things the more archaeological evidence they will find right um cannabis drugs generally haven't been one of the things people have necessarily tested mummies for in the past um not that they haven't tested them for it i mean but it hasn't been a primary thought i guess um so the more people try to trace some of this stuff the better the evidence will be um but it is sort of interesting you know cannabis the history is clearly incredibly old there's a lot but there's a lot we're missing <laughs> yeah cool um but also again like you know it's like any plant i guess it's pretty easy to grow mm-hmm. i have not personally tried but it would seem to be pretty easy to grow <laughs> um so i imagine that, i all i know yeah. is that um, at least hemp is sometimes referred to as ditch weed, which suggests that these that they do grow like weeds. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I know about gardening is that weeds are really, really enthusiastic plants. Yes, and hemp, so. of course, is actually a really great fiber. I mean, we've mm-hmm. and we talked about it in the fiber episode. There's definitely a lot of hemp. There's a lot of evidence for the use of hemp, right? So that's another thing that obviously. You can't prove by the use of hemp that people are smoking weed, but we call it weed, by the way. Um, you can't, yeah, you can't no, prove true. by the use of hemp that people are smoking it, but um, it's likely that there are also people smoking it if there are people using hemp, I guess. <laughs> right. It it means that it was in the neighborhood. Yes. Yep. And if I have one theory about human behavior, it's um that they will try many ways to alter their state. Yes. I mean, humans are just kind of curious to begin with, right? Like Yeah. Imagine seeing like a rock with a tongue in it and being like, I'm gonna eat that. Yep. Like, whatever. Well and also, I mean, I think um obviously it's a plant, so at some point you are gonna burn it. Yeah. You know. For whatever. And you're going to have some dried hemp and you're going to burn it. And then you're going to find some stuff out. <laughs> you know, I mean, so... It's very elucidating. Yes. So it's it's definitely happening. Yeah. Yes. Um, but again, the sort of interestingly contested, like, where, where did it really originate? Who started it? Hard to know. Mm-hmm. But... But that, that seems to be the one we have sort of the, the oldest evidence for, just because, again, hemp. We have evidence for hemp going back. Yes. Um, yeah. So, from thousands of years ago, all the way through to Hunter S. Thompson. Yep. And beyond. Indeed. Yes. It continues so, to, to be studied again. Yes. Um, yeah, I think we're going to leave it there for the evening. Yes. And that was a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, until next time, you can check out our website at askmedievalist.com, 
You can find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Probably. Or just, like, search for us. We're on Twitter at AskAmedievalist or cross-posted to Mastodon at at pretense soup, all one word, at romancelandia.club. That's my personal account, but you're welcome to follow it for uh, updates. I think that's it. Buy my book. It's on Amazon, uh, Dionysus in Wisconsin. And until next time, um, if you are going to do drugs, make sure you write it down so archaeologists of the future will be able to prove what yes. you did <laughs> and they won't they won't have such a hard time and uh, keep it medieval Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 